I'm back, baby. Oh, my double crap. Do you know who I am? No, but maybe if you hum a few bars. Yes, sir, random kid I just met. You know, this man's forgotten more about pain than you'll ever remember. About pain. About forgetting about. It's Jake C. Lee. I am the low rating that cancels your program. I thought you were made of sterner stuff. Don't be jealous because I'm attractive. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you're serious. Let me laugh even harder. It's time to check the link. I like that. I didn't do anything wrong because I can't do anything wrong. Hooray! People are paying attention to me. It's all in sports. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Jake Seeley, as always, you know me. Follow me at All In Kid. But you want to definitely follow today's guest because he's one of the best, if not the best, mind in the college football scouting business. It is my boy, Emery Hunt. He's the czar. Follow him at F-Ball Game Plan. Make sure you subscribe to that. Check out his YouTube work. Check out everything. Like, if you want to know about these players that all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, I, I think Daryl Henderson should be number one. Well, guess what? I was talking to Emery at the Combine, who had been talking about it for about two months before that, and three months before that, and four months that he was his RB1 because Emery is on this year-round. This is his job. What did you have, 700 players profiled this year, Emery? 767 to be exact. And now that the pro day circuit is over for me, you could probably bump that up to 800 even because of guys that I hadn't seen um, that, that were, you know, that jump onto your radar at the pro day that are small college guys or lesser known guys. And now you have 800. So yes, I'm on it, but I appreciate the intro. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Like for all you guys out there that are still watching the AAF and you're like, man, I, this, I have no idea where this guy's from or this guy's from. Everybody's like, yeah, I, I have that. Hold on. Let me go check my books. <laughs> for like three years ago, I covered that dude. So if you like, I'm telling you, this isn't trying to like make Emery feel amazing or anything like that. I'm serious about this. When I found out about Emery myself only a few years ago recently, it was eye opening. So for all you guys out there, make sure you're doing that. And today, we're going to talk about some of the wide receivers in this draft class and going to do similar to what we did the running backs. We're going to focus on some guys that Emery's higher on than many people are, lower on than many people are, some guys that are outliers and stuff like that. So before I jump into that, Emery, I want to ask you kind of a, more of a scouting broad question for you uh, because we're starting to see a lot of people talking about which is surprising. I don't know why we weren't talking about this past couple of years. And I say we within heavy quotes there. You know, I don't mean like you, but all this. Well, he's specifically a slot. He's specifically a big slot, like 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 going down that route, or like well, he fits in this offense, but not this. Like all these aspects of like, well, where does this player fit? Where like a few five years ago, it was just no, he's good at this, this, and this, and then nobody was talking about well whether or not he fits with the Saints or whether or not he fits with the Titans or whether or not he fits with the Giants. Like nobody was doing that, and all of a sudden people are focusing on that. When you're focusing on players, how much does the style of play to what an NFL team runs come into your mind when you're scouting a player? I don't think of, I don't think of the NFL team per se in terms of scouting the player. I just scout the player per position. So we were doing the, it's funny you brought that up because we were doing the position breakdown like that uh, split ends, flankers, slots, big inside receivers uh, since 2015 um, so we were separating guys in specific positions because at that point I was like, you know, it's, it's kind of unfair to the receiver to say, okay, Marquise Brown is not as good as DJ Metcalf, or D DK Metcalf, I'm sorry, when they're going to play two different positions. So right. 
you know, why grade them the same? And I think that right there is a big reason why we went ahead and just started to be uh, pioneers in the, in the spot of going and, you know, going in and breaking down these guys into positions uh, because wide receivers are so broad. Plus, if you it's hard to it was hard to have a debate when you have a, a guy rated number one. Well, yeah, Marquise Brown is my uh, number one receiver, but, um, you know, Hakeem Butler is my 60th receiver. And people say, oh, well, you don't – why do you hate Hakeem Butler? But when in your notes, you're like, okay, he may be 60th overall, but probably my fourth inside receiver. So right. to make it make sense for everybody, we broke it up into positions. Um, so, therefore, people can get a good gauge of where we feel as though the player's skill set is. Uh, how we grade them, and also where they're best suited to play and, and be able to maximize their their talent at the next level. Yeah, 100%. And the best example I can think off the top of my head is uh, I'd probably say, again, like a lot of things, not as skilled as you because you're, the, in my mind, the best. But I go back to 2016 with Michael Thomas, and for anybody that was reading me at the time, as soon as he was drafted, I said, I haven't seen a much better skill for team need fit than Michael Thomas in that slot flanker big guy in the inside role whereas you put Michael Thomas on a different team and I don't think he works as well and I think this is a really good example of that and I think to your point like you said is it was only starting to really come around a couple of years ago where people were focusing on this more and I'm so glad you guys have always done this and always broke it out that way uh, it makes it very interesting to your point again you know you okay well why you have somebody 30 when he's two and you just pointed out well that's may be overall but again if you look at your grades I mean the gap in the grade might only be five points but you know maybe he's the fourth best flanker but he's the 30th best overall so let's talk about somebody in general that neither of us are very high on uh, and the funny thing is and you always talk about looking back and stuff like this and you're the same way I am again uh, uh, for everybody you know I'm just gonna stay I'm gonna say it one more time Emery and then I'm gonna leave the dead horse alone I'm gonna say so anytime I say we when I'm talking about myself and Emery I want everybody to understand I'm not putting us on the same playing field I, I think a lot of what I do it's 10 times better what Emery does so anytime I say we don't ever think I'm saying that we're on the same playing field when it comes to scouting so we have always been down on Riley Ridley. And it's funny that like people have started to cool off more and more and more and more and more. And now all of a sudden, people are like, eh, well, Riley Ridley, Riley Ridley uh, you know, I don't really see where the upside is here. Blah, blah. Okay, from day one, I know why, because you and I talked about it, but day one, you tell everybody else why you weren't as excited as Riley Ridley. Because if people remember, in the middle of the college football season, this kid was arguably in consensus for the number one wide receiver in the draft class. It never really made sense to me because, you know, when you watched him play, you kind of, and it's funny how Georgia does this. They spread the ball around a lot, a really strong passing game. So if you're not really paying attention, if you have it on, let's say you have the sound on mute while you're watching the game live, you couldn't tell the difference between Riley Ridley or Godwin or Miko Hartman. Right. Um, <laughs> it's you funny know, you so, say that because I always have a, a second game on the TV and there's a lot of time it's on mute. That's funny. That right. You so it's all mute and you're just like, oh, okay. Because they all built the same. But when you <laughs> go back and study them, you, you see the difference between a Miko Hartman, uh, Terry Godwin, and a Riley Ridley. And, and, for, and a lot of times people want to act as if they're smarter than the coaches. And 
there's a reason why Raleigh Ridley was the, you know, where he was in that, in that rotation for a long time. And there's a reason why Josh Jacobs was the third back behind Najee Harris and Damian Harris. So sometimes the coaches know what they're talking about, know what they're doing. And, and Ridley to me, uh, you know, he benefited from uh, not being the focal point. I think more teams focused, focused uh, their attention on uh, Harmon or Godwin and, and credit to Ridley for stepping up and making the most of his opportunities, especially scoring touchdowns. Um, so I, I, I like him, but I think he's more of a good player, not a great player as far as prospect is concerned. And, you know, I think what, what had people cool off on him was they expected this great athlete and he was a good athlete. And I think because people expected this great athlete, they cooled off on him once they saw his combine numbers and, and was like, wow, he didn't test like we thought. Same thing with uh, TJ Hawkinson when people said that he was going to blow the combine up and, and just on film, like, how are you thinking he's more athletic than his teammate Noah Fant? Like, this is like an easy <laughs> – this is this is like when somebody holds up a map and say point out the United States. Like that's that's a, that's easy. Like you could easily see that Fant was more athletic. Than <laughs> um, so I think Ridley, you know, he's a he's a, a probably going to be a, a core special team or wide receiver four at the at the next level, which is fine. Uh, he'll carve out a career there, but I don't think he's the dynamic playmaker that people thought he was, despite having um, the numbers he had this year for Georgia. All right. Well, so that's a really good, real quick, another sidebar before we get into the rest of the wide receivers. How do you balance that when you have, because one of the notes I made for you is, and I was going to ask this question is the pushback you get when people start to say, well, it's not his, I know you kind of already touched on it already with the coaching and stuff like that, but just so you know, in general, when you see like different schools that are even on the level of Georgia, where you say, well, it's not all his fault. Look at the offense he came from or, or a good example. I'll throw it out there. Bowling Green, and you go back to Higgins and or the players that come from there, and you're like, oh, well, look at the quarterbacks that they were dealing with. How do you balance that type of situation where you say, well, it's not all his fault, look at the offense, or then the situation with like Ridley, well, the coaches knew what they were doing because he's just not that, that equipped? Well, that's a great question. I think you have to look at it um, inside and out. So inside, then out. So you look at, first, the requirements of the position. Can player A run routes? Can player A catch? Can player A separate? You know, and then you build out from that. So you look at what you're looking for in a receiver, and then you build out to, okay, what's the offense like? What is he being asked to do? What is he doing against press? What is he doing against uh, zone coverage? Is he uh, recognizing rotating coverage? You know, so once you recognize the core traits of a receiver and you check off those boxes and grade based off that, then you start to you know, scale back and, and look at, okay, you zoom out a bit and look at scheme, personnel, coaching, and, and things like that to formulate your whole, your whole grade. Mm, yeah, okay. Makes a lot of sense. And for everybody out there that noticed, Emery didn't correct me because he knew. I, for all the people there, well, actually, I'll just put it out there. Yes, I know Higgins was from Colorado State. I just was giving another example, Bowling Green. So before you get to the well, actually, because people love to do that, I actually did a show with Pat Mayo, and I was talking about Creed of all things. And I said, it's, you know, the, it's been a while, which is by Stained. And I made that joke, and I said, just so you know, I know that was Stained and not Creed, but they're all in that same grouping. 
Somebody in the middle of the video before they even got to the point where I explained that came at me on Twitter. Well, actually, that was Stain. I'm like, dude, could you wait two minutes into the show to see that I was... So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Emery understands you don't well actually somebody. But <laughs> let's go yeah. down this list for a few more here. We got a lot I want to get to today. Kelvin Harmon. You're lower than a lot of people are, Kelvin Harmon. I haven't specifically asked you about him. Uh, when we, I think it was right before or at the combine, I was asking about them. And for me, let, let me ask you this. I'm going to actually give you my opinion of why I think the answer is, and it's the fact that he's just average all around. Like It seems like somebody that might be uh, kind of actually similar to Ridley. It's like, you know, he does okay things, but he's like, where, where are you wowing me, Harmon? Yeah, to me, and, and this is not a knock because I actually like the player as a pro, but he's kind of like Rod Smith or Eric Moles. You know, someone that's good, and you just like, okay, but he's doing the job that's required of him to be doing at the receiver position. So, you know, certain, certain guys meet just the baseline standard of starting player at a FBS program. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I think what happened with Harmon – Everyone got enamored. Everyone saw the Syracuse game and used that as the basis of their entire scouting report. Just like Josh Jacobs' uh, game against Oklahoma, that was that he made one move and that was it for the entire scouting report. You know, um, but when you watched over the course of a couple of games, you noticed okay, he's doing he's doing things well. He's doing everything well, and it's just nothing really wowing. And when you the the best part about what I do is that I have the benefit now um, of being at these NFL practices, you know, Giants, Jets. I've done some Eagles uh, stuff, uh, Browns. So you're up close and you're seeing what works in the NFL and what, what an NFL player looks like or what the NFL views as an NFL player. So when you look at Harmon, yes, Harmon is good and Harmon is going to play in the NFL. but the, the wow factor is what separates the, you know, the s- superstars versus the solid contributors versus the role players. And I think he's going to be a solid contributor. He can be a number one uh, on a team, you know, and, and be consistent, just like Rod Smith was a number one for the Denver Broncos or Eric Mose was for uh, the Buffalo Bills. But you're going to always need that, that, that Robin. High number two. Yeah, exactly. You're going to need a, a peerless price or a Josh Reed um, to, to you know help who, out. Yeah, I always, compare, I always say that about Anquan Bolden. Like I said, like Anquan Bolden, I don't know if you agree. I just, and if you don't, you can definitely say so. But I always felt that about Anquan Bolden was like, he's, he could be your 1A if you also have a 1B or if you have a very high 2A. Like you just, he's really good, but you need somebody almost on his level across from him. Right. Because you look at what happened with the Arizona Cardinals, they had Bolden first. And Bolden had a fantastic rookie year. And then he brought in Larry Fitzgerald, and that just really transformed the offense. Right. All right, so let's talk about the next one, which was getting a lot of hype, mostly because of the opposite, kind of like the athleticism here. That's Andy Isabella. And I've seen, like, I've seen comps. To, like, people love comps. And I understand why, and I say this all the time, is it's easier if you don't, like, I'm not saying anybody needs to be at my level, or especially at your level when it comes to scouting players. But if, even for the casual fan, the easiest thing for somebody to be able to grasp their mind around what a player can do is just to compare them to an NFL player. It's very easy because it's something you've seen. So people love player comps. I don't like to get, and I'm sure you're the same way, I don't like to get too hung up on him because 
you know, how many times are you going to say this guy is 100% exactly like this other guy? But this one's weird to me because Isabella, I've seen everything from like a Tyler Lockett to a Philip Dorsett to a, like, it's, I don't even think people can agree what he is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's, this is the part I, I, I really don't understand, man, because I was at the week zero game up in, uh, at UMass when they played Duquesne. And there's a guy that I thought is a, probably a better re- overall receiver than Andy Isabel that played for Duquesne and Nahari Crawford. But when I was up there, and I tweeted this out back on August 30th, I believe, or August 24th, whatever week zero was, but it's, it's out there. I tweeted it and said, yo, this Andy Isabella is, is outstanding because he had a phenomenal game against Duquesne. He was baking these cornerbacks. But um, I want to say he had like over almost 200 yards with like three touchdowns. And the first touchdown, he ran like a little over route, caught it, and then outran their entire program to the to the end zone, right? Um, <laughs> but what I noticed about how he caught that football, I mean, he, he running this over route, there was no defensive back. Obviously, he, it was the man coverage, so he was running away from the defensive back. And the quarterback threw an accurate pass, and he really had to cradle it with his with his forearms to catch it and then turn up field. But it it wasn't a pass that required you to kind of cradle that ball in. Like you could just use your hands to catch it. And I noticed that was a theme for him throughout. Like he wasn't a hands catcher, uh, which is which is fine. But you run into a problem when you when you get contacted at the same time as the ball is coming because you're gonna you're gonna drop it. <laughs> right. I say that because uh, there's a, a prolific receiver in the league right now that's not necessarily the best hands catcher. You know, he, he cradles a lot in Antonio Brown. But, you know, he, at times he's able to go up and, and snatch the ball with his hands. I, I just – I like the explosiveness of Isabella. I like his ability to run away from, from man coverage, you know, going across the field or really, you know, exploiting zone coverage. And I, I know – some people feel as though he could play on the outside, but I think Isabella is, is strictly a slot receiver because he can't get off press. He struggles mightily to get off press. And the fact that he doesn't really catch the football cleanly, it's concerning to me. But when he does catch it, he's going to be dangerous. So I think as a third option inside where he's going to have a lot of room to run and use his speed and quickness, that's where he's going to have a lot of success. So there are some slot guys that I like better than him uh, because they're more consistent at catching the football, and you could see a path for them playing somewhere other than the slot. Right now, I don't see that path for Andy Isabella. Yeah, I, I definitely see a similar situation for you. All right, so this next one is going to be a big one. So I specifically said big because this guy was like Adonis body, and that's DK Metcalf. Everybody knows at this point. Uh, somebody that, look, he's near the top of the rankings, but he wasn't our top wide receiver has never been your top wide receiver the talk of oh well you know he slipped at the combine but now we study these shuttle times and everything like that and people are like oh well maybe maybe we were a little bit too high maybe these things kind of matter when it comes to playing wide receiver and all people are starting to cool off they still have him the top I still see some people have him number one but it's funny because I don't know if I said it to you but I remember the very first time so I was like oh number one this guy's just a freak and the immediate words out of my mouth Emery Ward, Darrell Green Beckham. And because we've done this before, and I'm not saying Metcalf is Darrell Green Beckham and he's going to fail at the NFL level. But to get a real sense of what Metcalf is, I think it, I, I'm interested to see your take on it. Yeah, I think with Metcalf, 
it's funny because you say he's not my number one, which technically he isn't, but he's tied with my number one, Anthony Ratliff Williams, um, right. the same grade. But the reason why I have Ratliff Williams ahead of him, uh, even though they have the same grades, because, you know, ARW is a little bit more fluid. And that's been the biggest issue with we've, we've seen with a guy like uh, Metcalf. And, and that's not to say Metcalf is not a dynamite receiver. I think he's more like Josh Gordon than anybody. Um, but when you look at Metcalf and you look at the things he's able to do, um, he, he's kind of limited a little bit, but he's such a good explosive athlete in straight line and, you know, what he can do after the catch. Now, he's not going to be your, okay, let's run a, you know, uh, either um, a, a shake route or a jerk route or something like that or a lot of these whip routes or pivot routes. That's not really his game, but, you know, in your standard, you know, post, bang eight, streaks, uh, comebacks, digs, he can he can run those and then use his body to shield off the defensive back. So, you know, that's why I, I still like him as a, as a first-round talent, um, but he is sort of limited in what he can do. Now, that's stuff that can be worked on, but you really won't put him in a situation where he's going to be as successful if you're asking him to do stuff where he could potentially struggle. Do you think the comp to uh, Andre Johnson is fair? I think that's fair. I, I think you could say some things about Andre Johnson that um, you could say a lot about DK Metcalf. I think they're very similar. That's actually a really good comp. Yeah. So and I bring him up for the fact of he had a pretty damn good career, even the limitations. So, right. You know, I, you know what? Before we get so initially, the next player I was going to talk about is two players in a row that not a lot of people are focusing on. Actually, a couple now that not a lot of people are focusing on. But I want to jump ahead one because you brought up his name as Anthony Ratliff Williams. And I know at least of today, Emery, nobody is jumping all over you and trying to steal your thunder here because nobody is really talking about him still, mostly because of the fact he wasn't even at the combine. And for the fact that you have him number one is exceptionally different than most everybody because most everybody is like, yeah, whatever. He's just another guy. So tell me why I'm just going to let you go full bore on him why you are so high on Ratliff Williams when everybody else seems to just basically just toss him to the side. Well, I'm just surprised that he, he didn't get the combine invite and ha hasn't been talked about because his tape is phenomenal. He must be a, a mob boss or something like that or got some real <laughs> dirt on him. Like, you know, must be a dope dealer to where the league stand away from him because his tape is excellent. I, I want to say two years ago, I was at the Pitt-North Carolina game and Pitt was, you know, North Carolina year was trash. I want to say it was like one and eight at the at the time of that game. So I fully expected Pitt to blow them out, but they got blown out by North Carolina, and it was all because ARW had over 200 yards receiving. And it wasn't just like streaks and and straight bombs. It was short passes, stiff arming his way through traffic and outrunning people to the end zone. And then you go and watch his film this year, and it was more of the same. It's like, man, this guy does a lot of things really well. Reminds me a lot of. Uh, Roddy White in, in that regard. And I, and I just find it fascinating that this guy who also returns kicks and punts, um, in addition to being North Carolina's number one option, didn't really get the buzz. Despite being an early entry, usually the early entries will almost automatically get you into the combine. But, you know, it, it's still bizarre. I still think he probably will be the highest non-combine invite to get drafted because his talent is amazing. He can catch the ball away from his body with ease. Uh, his rack skills are phenomenal. Um, he can make his initial start as a special teamer, a uh, punt returner at least, and so he can have an impact there. And I think he can also play 
split and flanker. So you can put him on the move, get him the ball quickly, and allow him to use those rack skills. So I, I really don't get it. And the tape does speak for itself in, in how he plays. It'll be interesting to see what the league thinks come draft time and where he goes. Yeah, and he's almost the exact same size as Roddy White, too. 6'1", 205. Well, and he actually, he is the exact same size because that 200 to 210, you know, they range all over the place in there. But to, but to what day are you getting weighed? You're probably somewhere in that range. So uh, I actually think that's a really good comparison. I like that. I think people, hey, no, save this little clip here to make sure you timestamp this and everything. And remember that, you know, I, Emery was talking about Ratliff Williams was still as of April 2nd, nobody else was. So another one, that a lot of people aren't talking about is somebody else you've mentioned in the show a little bit earlier, and that's Terry Godwin. Is You're also higher on him and somebody that's kind of pushed towards if you see mock drafts, if you see rankings, he's back at the back end along with like the Ratliff Williams of the world. Where, where are you and what did you see on Terry Godwin? He's my, my number two slot receiver. And, you know, Godwin was someone that, and again, I love going to the All-Star Games because that's my first impression of the players before I go and watch the film. And so my first impression of him was, wow, this guy is explosive in all directions, plays fast throughout the entire play, you know, throughout the entire route, and has solid hands. And it was, he was the MVP of the week and the MVP in the game. And so, you know, with that being my initial viewing, I was like, okay, this guy has some talent with him, but obviously he's at the Shrine game for a reason because that's more along the lines of what the league would consider your six-round picks to undrafted free agent type guys, right? Um, so his film was impressive as well, and I like how tough he is and how he competes. So he's going to go across the middle of the field. He's going to take a big shot. He's going to shake that off and, and try to find his way to the end zone. So I just thought he, he ran routes well. Uh, he was able to create separation consistently. He caught the football well, whether it was um, situationally in his body like you're supposed to or extending out to make the reception. He, he, has, he checks off a lot of re- the receiver boxes, and you saw him consistently stand out amongst those three uh, Georgia receivers and Hardman and um, also Ridley. All right, so one more before we get to this collection of five guys that I'm really excited to talk about. It's like the five that I I like a lot. But the first one, real quick, is – and I'm going to kind of two-part this question for you, and you can go whichever part you want first. But So Tyree Brady, and I'm bringing him up because his name started to float out there. A few people – you and I talked about before the show that – you know, the platform that you're on. And this isn't like bitter, like sour, I was about to say bitter grapes to make something new up. But like the fact that like, if I say something and Matthew Barry says the same thing, if Matthew Barry's going to get more attention and more people are going to jump on a bandwagon. I'm not saying that like as bitter, I'm just that we realize we don't have the platform as much as we might know of some of these bigger names. And I say that because you have Tyree Brady higher than a lot of people do. And then somebody throws his name out there this week on Twitter. And all of a sudden people are like, Oh, who's Tyree Brady. Let me go look it up. The second part of it is with Tyree Brady. I've seen some people say this, and I don't know if you have the same opinion. This is the second part of the question. Emery is that he can sometimes struggle to find space, but on the flip side, I've seen a lot of people who have started to say, you know, creating space isn't as big as a deal as people make it in the NFL for wide receivers because truthfully, how much space do you really ever have? It's being able to catch that ball when it's coming your way, whether you have space or not. So Tyree Brady, first part is the player, second part when it comes to wide receivers and creating space as a whole. Well, I like Tyree Brady. He was one that I earmarked pretty early uh, 
it one of the rare times I didn't have a game to to broadcast or a scout on a Saturday. I caught the Marshall North Carolina State game. I'm like, man, this receiver is killing these defensive backs. And it was Tyree Braden at the time. I want to say he was a junior or a sophomore. I believe it was a junior. And I was like, wow, he's gonna be a guy to keep an eye on for next year. And um, you know, he's he's been their their big time playmaker. I think for him, what happens is you know, you can see guys out there running routes and, and they tend to guess and are not sure of the coverage or things of that nature. I think he initially starts off well, but doesn't have that full-fledged separation speed to, to pull away and make it look worse than, than, than what it does on, on film when he's making receptions. Um, so that's why I have him as a bigger inside receiver. I think he can serve a role there. What makes him special to me was his ability to go up and, and high point the football consistently. Like he times it perfectly. A lot of, a lot of receivers struggle with that, you know, that timing. And some guys even, you know, are 6'3", 205, but play like they're 5'9", 185. And Tyree Brady plays big and, and is big and, and knows how to maximize that. So when I look at him and, and how he plays, I like him on the inside. I think he can give, you know, those slot corners the blues and, you know, he's going to win matchups versus safeties. And once you get to the to the red zone, now you can put them out there on the outside and, and play high post or above the rim if you want to. All right. So let's talk about these next five here. And the first one on the list, now when I'll give everybody a little insight behind what I do, is I already watch a lot of college football. And I told Emory, I think it was two years ago, I said, you know what? When it comes to cleaning up my process and not spending so much time on guys that aren't going to be of much interest. I asked Emery, I was like, can you shoot me your ranking so I can start like, okay, I haven't seen your number seven guy. I haven't seen your 15 guy and kind of run through your rankings to kind of, like I said, streamline. I don't want to, like, if you got somebody at 45, I don't need to spend my time on that. So one of the things you did this year, and I'm sure you remember this, Emery, for everybody out there that doesn't know, he sent me running backs and set wide receivers. And I was ready to fire back. I didn't even say anything because I wanted to fire back. Unfortunately, both lists, he had somebody, two different players high because for people out there, this isn't being a homer. I have definitively been low on Notre Dame players plenty in my life. But the thing is, is I'm a Notre Dame fan. I watch every single game, every single year. So if I'm ready to talk about anybody on the spot, it's a Notre Dame player. And as people know, I'm very low on a lot of them until I see somebody that I really like. And one was Dexter Williams when we talked about on the running back show. Emory had him really high. I couldn't fire back on that. Wide receiver, I was ready to say, you have Miles Boykin too low, but you didn't because you had Miles Boykin high. And I love this kid. Why do you think he's being overlooked? I mean, I know why, I, but why do you think he's being overlooked? I think because a lot of folks get caught up on names constantly. And the initial names are, are what people... Uh, tend to focus on and ride out throughout the process, i.e. Riley Ridley, Josh Jacobs, um, the list goes on and on. And so they, I go in unbiased because I don't have a, a you know, a, I, I don't have, I have the luxury of not being able to put out draft stuff right away as I'm watching stuff. So you kind of sit back from a, from a 10,000 foot level and really give everybody the same equal viewing, same clean slate. And, you know, and how I, watch receivers or positions for the draft I watch a position first and so I don't I don't watch let's say a Miles Boykin and then I'll go watch Raquel Armstead or then I'll jump back and watch a tight end no I'll watch all the receivers then move on to the next position so when I got to Boykin I'm like wow this you know because you see people on Twitter tweet about players but you didn't see anyone tweet about Boykin I'm thinking like man this 
know, this dude's pretty good. And yeah. the next game is like, wow, like he's running great routes. He's open. Quarterback just don't see him. And like, wow, this dude is, is excellent. And then to the next game, you're like, oh, my God. Like, he's, he's, he's talented and he's athletic and he's also productive and really good. And so I just let the tape speak and grade what I see. And, and that's how he was able to grade out pretty high for me. Um, on my split in rankings, I want to say he's third, right behind DJ Mac, uh, DK Metcalf. Um, so, it you know sometimes the tape just speaks to you, and it, it's it spoke loudly on how good Boykin is and and how good he can be at the pro level. A sidebar, real quick. I I've done DJ Metcalf a bunch of times myself too. I don't. There's it's not having a DK before you just immediately like it's DJ because DJ more like there's so many DJs. Why do you have to go to DK? DK screws us up, man. The only What's DK it? I know was uh, the DK I played with in college, but we called him DK because his name was Darian King. So it wasn't DK something. It was just DK for Darian King. <laughs> I've never seen DK as a... As a I know. It still screws me up. All right. Sticking with the initials, how about J.J. Arcega Whiteside or J.J. J. Jaw? I don't know. We got to find something easier for this kid. I don't, maybe just call him J.J. In any case, exceptionally high on your list of rankings. Uh, it's, he's actually your number one inside guy, right? I think off the top of my head. Yeah, he is. Okay. Um, some people, this one, I've seen some people almost as high as you have him, and I've seen some people very, like, I feel a lot of people are all over the mat with him and can't really come to it. Like, a lot of times, why I say that is because Metcalf is, he's within everybody's top five, you know? Isabella's all over the place. Uh, some of these guys are, this is one of the ones, and I think he's interesting, though, because he's your number one inside guy, and if some people are off, well, obviously, I'm going to lean to your opinion over theirs. <laughs> Well, for, for, for him, it's funny because earlier in the year, I want to say it was the Oregon game or Stan, uh, uh, one of these games. It was probably the Oregon game um, or UCLA. I forgot who they played early, very early before they played Oregon. All you heard was J.J. Arcega, wide side, wide receiver one. He's a first-round pick. He's this, 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 and then people cooled off on him. But, again, when you go in with a clean slate, you, you treat everybody the same. Like, yo, this dude does a lot of things extremely well, especially route running. Uh, he gets open, whether they had him inside, whether they had him outside. He's winning damn near every jump ball opportunity. So you like his ability as a, as a high post player, a, a above the rim guy. But I thought his route running was, was what was really uh, telling about what he brings to the table because he is consistently finding himself open despite not being the quote-unquote best athlete. And that's right there, the, the separation for guys that are super athletic but can't route, run routes or not as polished. Um, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is, is both polished, a decent athlete, but also has great hands. And if you ask any defensive back who's the hardest guy to cover, they'd say the slower receiver that, that runs great routes because they, they have to be precise. And if you're a corner, you're used to seeing guys who are trying to be fast but not, got, not a lot of guys that are trying to be precise. And when you're precise, along with being able to catch like he does, you, you're very dangerous. So the reason why I like him, because he can play inside, he can play outside. He's good inside the red zone. He's good on third downs. So he's going to be a fantastic player as a pro. All right. A few more. I'll get you out of here. I don't want to do your entire recap, because that's why people need to go and see your stuff on YouTube. Subscribe and you know get you more love out there. But three more before we get out of here. First, Paris Campbell. Somebody that we, you want to talk about, the Michael Thomas. I remember the conversation you and I had on the phone, and you said this is now 
I think the middle of the college football season and you said somebody else along those lines that talk about fit in the new NFL and somebody that people don't like right now, but he fits what to this is now correct me where I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I remember this person. Like this is the word you said, Emery is that somebody that fits today's NFL and it was Paris Campbell. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I said. Cause you can envision him in an offense like new England, like new Orleans, like Los Angeles, like Kansas City, and you say, wow, you know, or even like Dallas, you put this guy in the slot and you allow him to use that sprinter speed and he's going to score a lot of touchdowns, man. And, and I think that's what Ohio State did well this year. They finally put him in the position where he could be successful. It's not a surprise that it was also coincided with the fact that they finally started a quarterback that had the accuracy <laughs> of the guys in stride so that way they could maximize their talent. That's something he brought up at the combine too. Uh, how good Haskins is from an accuracy standpoint, how that is so important to him as a receiver in doing what he does. And I think when you look at Campbell playing in a slot, being able to run away from coverage like a Andy Isabella, but also having the the body to where he he's not afraid to make catches. He's not afraid to bang inside. And I think, you know, when sometimes you got to put guys where they're best at, I, I want to say Ohio State spent, the better part of two seasons trying to make him an outside receiver. They just let him thrive inside, and he was able to thrive to an All-American level. And I think you're going to see him get even better as a pro uh, because he's going to be used specifically to fill a role that can allow him to utilize his natural gifts and athleticism. That's just going to give him more confidence. He's going to continue to grow his game. All right. Two more. Hey, here's Actually, real quick, what do you think about a comp of like Santana Moss for Paris Campbell? Moss was a little bit more sudden as far as like uh, elusive and, and shifty. I would say he's probably a better version of Terrence Williams. And the Cowboys was trying okay. to make Terrence Williams a thing. Um, but now you get I a just, guy that can do I saw that. somebody throw out Santana Moss and I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, I was like, yeah, it's decent, but I, I knew you'd have something better. Yeah. All right. So two more. And one is my boy. So you know I was going to bring him up. It's Travis Fulgham from. My ODU, Old Dominion Monarchs, the school that hasn't even had a football program back for 10 years yet. Actually, 10 years this year upcoming is finally how long this football program has been back. Uh, so the people are not still looking at the school too much when it comes to NFL prospects. Actually, I don't know if I told you this, Emery. Uh, at the Combine, what really ticked me off, and everybody knows this now if they read my Combine recap, is I sat with him for like 15 minutes because I knew nobody was really going to talk to him. For everybody that doesn't know out there, Emery knows this, they do the podiums one through eight, and then they have tables, which are like, you're not even on the podium, you're on a table. And then it's one through six. Not only was he at table six out of the six tables, he was at table six with somebody else. So there's just no respect for ODU and Travis Fulgham. Uh, but one of the things is, well, I, I, again, I don't know if I told you this, Emery, but while I was talking to him, somebody came over and he's like, hey, can I ask him a few questions? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm just talking with him. Just, I'm, you know, I'm not really quote unquote interviewing because I went to ODU. I just wanted to talk to him. I think nobody's paying attention to him. He's like, all right, cool. I'll ask two quick questions. He asked both about the defensive linemen. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what do you think about how he played this year? Like, I still can't say his last name. I still struggle with his last name. So that's why I'm not saying it. But uh, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, Really? That's your question? All right. Like, maybe his follow-up one's okay. And then he goes, do you think he'll be a good first-rounder? So, like, you came over here to ask Fulgham two questions that weren't even about him. Like, so this is the level of disrespect for Old Dominion, everybody. But what do you think about Fulgham's chances in the NFL? 
I think he should be drafted. And the question of whether or not he will be fifth, sixth round, or you know, one of the priority undrafted free agents is a big question because it still is ODU. I, but that's the thing. I don't get why people are underrating ODU. The, the fact that they haven't even hit 10 years yet and been this good as a football program, going back to when they first started, um, because, again, they're in the fertile recruiting ground and, and been able to, to really stock up pretty quickly into where you have multiple years of pro prospects. Um, but right. to your question about Fulgham, I think because of how he's built, you know, he's a sturdy guy. He's big and also fast. Um, he's precise in his route running. I think he, he's a solid player. I think he could be a productive starter. Um, I'm surprised because people are so enamored with size at the position. He's 6'3", 215, and can run and, and can catch. I, I don't get what the issue is with him not being talked about in the same breath as these other bigger receivers that are built the same way, that are productive like he was at ODU. And, I mean, even if you look at his teammate, John Duart, both of those guys I think are solid prospects in what they bring to the table. But Fogum obviously is the, the one I think, uh, you know, I could see him fitting in a team like the Redskins and being, being effective, you know, being kind of like a Muhammad Sanu and how he was uh, utilized with the Bengals or now with the Falcons. I think he's going to be a strong number two at, in, the NF, in the NFL. Yeah, so real quick also, something I didn't even put in the combine recap, <laughs> Emery, you said you brought up John Duhart. So because I was also a little bit nervous this entire combine that anybody read it. That, that's, you know, like I said, it was my first time ever there. Man, nobody reads your stuff, man. And that, that is true. That is 100% true. <laughs> nobody reads any of our stuff. I sat down and one of the first questions, I, you know, after I was trying to like break in and I didn't say John Duhart. You know, I said, I said, Josh Hart, the basketball player. <laughs> he was like, he was like, who? And I was like, oh, I meant, and it's just because, you know, I like the Josh Hart. It just, uh, yeah. So I, I, I even screwed up talking to Fulgham about who I was trying to, to as you know, I said, do you, do, I asked him if he was giving his buddy crap because he didn't get to the combine and he did like, is it going to be a competitive nature type of thing? And, you know, he's like, yeah, I kind of wish you would be here because people can overlook it. But I, I do like Fulgham. And actually, if you look at their games, it was kind of back and forth, given that program is like one had a big day and the other one did it just because there's only so much offense to go at the OD. But to your point, you, I remember this too, Emery. You talk about the program for a long time. I also still remember when somebody named Jarek McKinnon was part of an offense that ran for 600 yards against ODU. I was at that game. 600 yards of rushing offense. That's that shouldn't happen. Was, do you, that, that do you know what I'm talking is, about? Option football is 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 so so much of a pain to the, to to prepare, man. I don't I don't blame them for for giving up 600 yards. By the time you figure out what's going on, it's maybe <laughs> the fourth quarter and you're down 20. It, it didn't even matter at that point. It was ridiculous. Jerry McKinnon had 200 something that game. It was well, it was embarrassing. It was not a fun day. All right, last one before we get out of here. Uh, my number one this entire time. A lot of people are starting to come around on him. Somebody else you're very high on as well. And I want to finish with Nikhil Harry. I, I love this kid. I told you when we first started talking, he was my number one. Uh, where are you? I know where you are, but for everybody that's listening, where are you and Nikhil Harry? What do you think he could do NFL-wise? Well, he's my number one flanker. And a lot of the talk around him, or lack thereof, is it reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen coming out of Cal. When I watched mm. Keenan Allen, I'm like, wow, this guy is fluid, athletic. It's almost like listening to jazz music um, and, you know, watching him run his route. <laughs> hold on, hold on, time out. Sidebar. <laughs> Just because you said it, did you happen to see Keenan Allen speaking of music and come after <laughs> Le'Veon Bell? Hey, he asked for an honest opinion, gave one, <laughs> and then got mad. You can't, you know, that's almost, that's the equivalent of, 
of your girlfriend walking and say, how do I look in this? Well, I, I don't think that color works for you. Oh, so you're saying I'm ugly? Like, man, you just, <laughs> you asked my opinion. Like, so, I, yeah. <laughs> I think Le'Veon Bell overreacted, man. <laughs> don't put out trash music and people won't say it's trash. Oh, that's what I was going to say. But go ahead. All right, back, back, back to the key. <laughs> yeah, so, so Allen runs his routes and everything he does is his fluid. I feel like the same way, uh, I feel the same way about Harry. Harry runs his route fluidly. He's able to play all three receiver spots, so to speak. And, you know, people first questioned whether or not he was athletic enough. But they had him returning kicks. I mean, sorry, punts. They don't, they don't have you return punts, especially at the collegiate level, unless you're shifty. If you're fast, you can return kickoffs. But if you're shifty, athletic, you can return punts. And also you have to have great hands to return punts because uh, things happen fast. He did all all those things, and he had a punt return touchdown. Made a lot of people miss on uh, you know the famous play where he caught the, the you know little uh, out route and weaved his way throughout traffic and found his way in the end zone. And he's also able to win short, intermediate, and deep down the field. So he does pretty much everything well. It doesn't he doesn't have to run the blazing forty. He doesn't have to run um, or jump the forty seven uh, inch vertical. I think his game is very similar to that of Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a lot of the same questions coming out of USC. Well, he doesn't – he's not explosive. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. But he's always making big plays. He's solid after the catch. He's a big-body guy, just like Keenan Allen is. So I, 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 I'm I, glad people are starting to come around to him because I think Harry's going to be a fantastic pro. Yeah, you and me both, man. All right, so before we get out of here one more time – Emory Hunt, follow my F-Ball game plan. Tell everybody your YouTube – tell everybody how to get all this information that you have put, putting out in the entire year. Well, go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. You can also go to footballgameplan.com to check out some articles. And we have a lot of stuff backlogged on footballgameplan.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. And I always love to talk about our new venture because, you know, we've done a good job as far as pinpointing talent at the collegiate level that's going to be guys that, that are going to be really good pros. We talked about Tariq Cohen and so on and so forth. Uh, we started going even deeper. We, we're now scouting the high school talent. So we have now what is called our football game plan top 400. So go to footballgameplan400.com and see our top 400 high school prospects, you know, guys that we've already targeted. And, and it'll be fun to watch these guys progress through their collegiate years. Uh, we've hit on a couple of guys before. Uh, we did a pilot back in 2014. We had a show called uh, uh, Football Game Plans Recruiting Round Roundup, High School Recruiting Roundup, where we had high school prospects call into the show, give us their huddle link, and we evaluate their film live on air while they're on air. Ooh, and, that's bold. Well, it's bold. So it was 2014, <laughs> and one of the kids that called in, you know, was a was an undersized offensive lineman, and we we're watching it, and we we're like, you know. I like his technique. He's technically sound. He does a great job. He's always where he's supposed to be. If a, and we told him, like, you know, because he, he was kind of discouraged on how the, the recruiting process was. It was like, listen, if a team can be patient with you, redshirt you, they're going to add weight. The weight is not going to be a problem. So you add weight, and then that along with your technique, you're going to be a monster down the line. That player is Chris Lindstrom. And so – we saw Chris Lindstrom at the Senior Bowl, and he brought it up. He was like, man, I appreciate the words you guys gave, and that was pretty awesome. It's like, man, look where you are now. Like, you know, you kind of blossom into exactly what we said. We, we did another one with a guy uh, 
who was a smallest linebacker. And it was like, you know, some people were looking at him as a safety. Some people say he needed to bulk up or too small to play at the power five level or whatever. And we're like, nah, this dude fits the new age mold of what these linebackers need to be. They got to be able to run. Um, he's able to run. He's getting from point A to point B. And um, fast forward to now, and that guy is Jerome Baker, who made some all rookie teams with the Miami Dolphins. So <laughs> us getting into the high school game and really putting a lot of pressure on 24-7 and, and uh, rivals, because it's only two, two outlets, and ESPN, three outlets that do it. But we're about to be the fourth, and we're going to do it the right way. Because if we're if people love our college football scouting um, content, they're going to love our high school scouting content. So again, go to footballgameplan400.com and check out our rankings for the top 400 prospects in the class. And those will be some of the names you want to earmark uh, or bookmark for down the line prospects. So you can say, "Oh wow, football game plan saw this guy really early." So some new stuff we got coming down that we have already out there now that we, we're excited about. Yeah. See, there you go. I'm telling you guys, if you got one thing from this episode and from the running back episode and just from having Emery on us, make sure you go check out his stuff and you'll be a better player for it and get a lot of great information. So that's it. I will be back next week. Uh, we have some things copping up over at the athletic as well. Podcasting. So stay tuned for that. Oh, no, wait, I'll be back later this week too. This was a special episode. I forgot. You see Emery, you got a special episode all for yourself. So, I'll be back. I appreciate you guys listening. I'll see you later.